You are listening to the Noisy Narratives podcast, a podcast produced by the Women of First Ministries at Frisco First Baptist Church in Frisco, Texas. Here at Noisy Narratives, we like to cut through the noise of our stories and get to the heart of what really matters. We hope you are blessed by what we share. Thank you so much for listening. Isn't it amazing? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Noisy Narratives. This is Debbie Vallejo, and I'm here today with Christy Williams, as usual. Hello. She's here. And <laughs> we're here. here with a guest, Rachel Rosser. Hello. And actually, it's not Rachel Rosser anymore. Correct. Okay, last name is? Schulte. Schulte. I've known Rachel for, and we're going straight into our discussion today with our um, person. Our friend. Our person here, our friend, um, just because we want to make best use of our time. And you guys heard a lot from us in the past. So we've decided we're going to, you know, just have them or have Rachel um, join us in this conversation for as long as we possibly can because she has so much wisdom we want to glean from her. But I've known Rachel for a few years now. Yes. Which has been fun. How do y'all know each other? for breakfast and all kinds of stuff. How do we know each other? Through my brother. Through your brother, who was one of my bosses a long time ago. So my brother is a licensed professional counselor, but also a counseling supervisor. So he supervises people getting their LPC. Mm -hmm. And um, I think you already had your LPC, though. And then you just started working at North Texas Christian Counseling. Well, I was actually at Metroplex Counseling. And then, well, even before that, like I had met your brother. I'd gone through the class, Equipped to Counsel class, uh, that you can get the material at Association of Biblical Counselors. I went through that, and I met him at a conference. And I think I had already given his material to a bunch of pastors in Africa. And, oh, okay. And I was like, can I teach your material in Africa? And, and he was really gracious. And that's kind of how I met your brother. And so, and then I, I worked for Metroplex and then wanted to kind of be closer in the area because I lived in Dallas. And so went over to work uh, with him at North Texas Christian Counseling. So my brother wrote a curriculum called Equip to Counsel, and it's for equipping lay people in the church um, to do biblical counseling within their church body mm-hmm. in the church context is what it is. So that's what Rachel's talking about. If anybody's interested. And then, um, you, so you taught that new, and then we start, we, yeah. I needed counselors. I'm always adding yes. to my list of counselors. So I go to my brother and I'm like, Hey, I need a list of good counselors in the area that I can refer people to. And your name was on the list. So then we started getting together and become friends. Yes. I count her as a friend. That has been fun. Yeah. So, so. But anyway, that's how we know each other. Yep. Um, Rachel um, is, you would consider yourself a biblical counselor. Correct. Um, you, and, and you have your LPC as well. Yes. Uh-huh. And so um, you've been counseling people now for how long? How long have you been? I have been counseling people with a license for almost 12 years. Okay. And so, and then before that in school and, and training, probably totaled like 15 years, but as a biblical counselor for uh, 11 of those 12 years. And so I would say getting better the last, always learning and growing the last like half, five, six years. And so. Because the first probably few years, what you're learning, like process. I think I'm stuff. unlearning a lot of the things oh, that okay. I learned in grad school and like unlearning, you know, what you know, how to ask or what to do or actually really where to seek wisdom, where to go. Um, and where not to go? 
and we're not to go. <laughs> For sure we're not to go. But I you know, I didn't ever really buy into the fact that if I was the problem, then I had the answers. Mm-hmm. And so biblical counseling really, you know, it spoke to as a believer, just like, okay, Jesus is the answer. How do we get this? Like mm. Uh, in front of people. And so it was helpful. And, uh, and then just being under some really good supervision, uh, both at Metroplex and at North Texas Christian Counseling, even licensed just to kind of go, okay, how do I walk people through scripture? What does that look like? What does it look like to go through the word with them and to ask them questions? Uh, and then I was real fearful that I'd have to be like a theological scholar instead of just like reading a lot of the things that have already been written. Um, that's been helpful. Well, sure. So do you um, also counsel, you counsel believers and non-believers? Yes, I counsel, I counsel both. So how do you, does it change? Your approach changes? No. One way or the other? No. With, with non-believers, um, most of the people that come into our counseling center, it's, it's actually called a Christian counseling center. I'm going to say, uh, would a non-believer come to you? Uh, sometimes they come and they don't know that they're non-believers. I'll put it oh, that way. Okay. Um, but then, yes, I have had a lot of teenage girls, college girls in the past come to me uh, and they're not following Christ. And so generally I want to hear what their story has been with him. Uh, most of the time it's been his people. Um, that have hurt them and not necessarily Christ himself. And so then it's about introducing them to him mm-hmm. uh, and then also grieving the wounds mm-hmm. of just church hurt. And sometimes there's been spiritual abuse, misuse of authority. And so kind of walking that through and then just continuing to plant seeds of this is where truth is found and then allow the Lord to grow that. So we're and we're going to talk today that our kind of theme of this conversation is entitlement. We're going to talk about yes. that. But I would love to come back to at the end just so we can help people understand how do you separate yeah. the hurt that God's people, like you just put it yeah. so well, the hurt God's people have given um, from Christ, because mm-hmm. that's not the hurt that he's given. So yeah. just that we're people in each other's lives, we are going to hurt each other. And what does that look like? And how do you recover from that? Well, Um, and where do you go? I, I think that'd be great to kind of end on that kind of nugget, right? So we are going to talk about entitlement is kind of our discussion for today. Um, and I don't, I was even like reading or we've kind of looked at different articles and have thoughts on that, on, on this coming to this podcast. But I, re- I remember sitting down and reading this and then thinking through how we're going to do this discussion going, I don't even know where to start. How about the definition? <laughs> like, yeah, we'll start mm-hmm. with the definition for sure. But I was like, it it encroaches in so much of what we do, mm-hmm. I feel like, culturally, kind of especially where we live, that there's so many, like, tentacles of it in so many different facets. So, so you want me may to go help everywhere. us stay on track. Yeah, Is that, that what you're saying? <laughs> okay. <laughs> That may have to happen, Christy. That may have to happen. So first of all, the definition, how would you define entitlement, Rachel, do you think? So I would define it, well, I'd say the core underlying is definitely pride, but there's selfishness with entitlement, just kind of a demanding of yourself, your wants, your needs, your desires over anyone else's. Mm -hmm. Uh, That includes the Lord's. So, Oh, it's important to put that in. It is. Oh, that includes the Lord. Um, so 
And it's not only that you feel like you want this put in above, but you have a right to it, like you deserve it. Yeah. Right. Yes. And I think that there's all times that we, every single, well, the three of us in this room and then everyone listening um, can be entitled in the sense of just in your daily life or weekly life. But the difference is repenting of it and turning from yourself towards the Lord and it not being a consistent pattern. So as long as you're, not as long as you're correcting harm, but there's a difference between having maybe like couple bouts of entitlement versus like, no, this is like a way to describe this particular person. Mm-hmm. So if I'm thinking to myself, like if someone's listening, how would I know the difference between having bouts of entitlement and an ongoing pattern of entitlement, like in myself? Well, I think if you can actually recognize that you're entitled, that's a good step of conviction from the Holy Spirit. If the Lord is convict, obviously, if you're spending any time in his word, in sermons, and he's convicting you of your attitude, those silent little conversations that we have with ourselves of like what we're owed or what we're due, or I can't believe um, those things. And if there is a feeling of, of conviction, remorse, and then confessing that to the Lord, and then going to the other person and rectifying harm, I would say there's some bouts there. Uh, I would say if there's not even a recognition, a conviction, uh, even if it's been brought to your attention, maybe by spouses, friends, coworkers, um, if it's not anything that you're willing to rectify harm and seek to like learn and be teachable in, then I would say that's entitlement. Okay. So the first thing is, re- is being teachable then. If you're not a teachable person and if you feel defensive when someone brings something to you, that's probably a sign Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. That you that there <laughs> there's a lack issues. of humility. A I lack of say. humility. Yes. Okay. It's funny, as I was looking over some of the stuff, I was like, Oh, I'm totally entitled. And then I'm like, but not every day. Like I can go back yeah. and look at situations and be like, uh-huh. I am absolutely I am entitled. I I've had that. I like what they said. I have a right to things I want. Yes. Yes. There are days and I'm like, I have a right to that. And I'm like, No, I don't. Like you shake your head and you uh-huh. put your head down, like, No, I don't. What am I thinking? But it does plague people. Uh-huh. And I think like what you said, turning and recognizing it is key. But I think we have it in most of us. It's yeah. how we handle it. But it keeps on going. I have the right to things I want and I will punish whoever stands in the way of my desires. And I went, oh, yeah, I don't do that. Okay. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and I think you're right. That's that. an important distinction. Not only do you feel like you have the right to what you want, but an entitled person punishes people who don't. Who are who stand in their way? Who yes. like block something they feel mm-hmm. they deserve? Yeah, they'll justify mistreating people so horribly too, yes, yes. and horribly. And a, I mean, I grew up with a dad that that he did that. Yeah. He wouldn't talk to my mom and my me or my mom for days because mm. my mom would do something and then he'd get mad. And so I was like, oh yeah. But then it also something about narcissism. Yeah. Yes. And I thought, well, not all cases are narcissistic, right? No. Okay. So, so you like the think, extreme case of entitlement? Is that what you're saying? So if you have an ongoing pattern of entitlement, that was a question. Do you feel like though there has to be some narcissism in there if you feel like you have an ongoing pattern of entitlement? Or I no? mean, again, I think it always depends on like if you can, if you're recognizing it, if you're rectifying it, if you're trying to repent over it, you're seeking accountability, you're trying to humble yourself with it, right? That's going to look different than like someone who is extremely self-centered, self-focused, the world revolves around them. That's just your 
definition of a narcissist. And so there, I would say that all narcissist people are entitled. Okay. I don't okay. know if all entitled people are narcissists. Okay. So they might that be on sense. the scale there. Cause I always so I kind of view narcissism as like a scale. Yes. And so totally. <laughs> like a spectrum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like a spectrum of that. And so I would say that they all that are in the unhealthy side are definitely entitled, mm-hmm. but not all people that are entitled are narcissists. Yeah. That's where it, cause they said that's that good. and I was like, I don't know if I agree with that. That seems extreme. But when you're, when you're talking or thinking about some things, the extreme gets people to listen Oh, yeah. and realize For sure. what's going on in the world yeah. or in well, their life. And I think you have to have a better definition of a narcissist. Cause like right now in the day and age, like that is they just throw that word around a lot. Don't they? Around, that word and gaslighting. Oh. And so you have to like really look at, well, what does this mean? And what are the character traits? What are the character defects? Like what, what's kind of going on in the heart? I just call them character disturbances of someone who would be like classified that. Um, what's gaslighting? Gaslighting. Okay, so this is a good difference. So gaslighting is when someone is intentionally lying and manipulating you in order to make you feel crazy, right? Now, lying is just lying, right? And so a lot of people lie. To cover uh, something up or whatever. To cover themselves, to cover their story, right? And they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves, but it's not necessarily that they're trying to make you feel crazy. And so, so they'll make like in marriages, you see it to where one spouse will intentionally change things up and stories up thinking to make the other spouse think they just keep forgetting things or yes. it's their fault. Something happened because <laughs> they're the ones. So then it does drive then that, is, that yeah. person a little, yeah, then they like feel. they think they're a mess that everything's their fault and the other person's doing it to them yeah. intentionally. Yeah, it's from a movie from the 50s. It is. Oh, just That's exactly yeah, it sounds where like it came. Lifetime station, lifetime yeah. movies. It, it, it was like a, a movie. It was like in the fifties, yeah. I think wow. where it was a husband who was intentionally like dimming the lights in the home and the wife thought she was going, crazy and it was intentionally to drive her uh, yeah. insane that's and so crazy. that's the difference between yeah. that with definitions so because i do think gaslighting is used a lot just when people lie or just people are selfish For like sure. they're not but the gaslighting is a whole nother level absolutely like, yes yes yeah. that that is i think there are a lot of people who lie and I, de- I definitely think that there are entitled people who lie and i definitely believe there are people who are narcissistic who lie but not all people gaslight. Yeah, okay. for That's sure. So. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that so is the a core attitude of an entitled person is selfishness. Okay. I would say that. Yeah. I would say it was someone who's extremely self-centered. So uh, there could be like, I think maybe some of the desires of the heart are for control and for um, comfort. Right. Oftentimes we control to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the most fearful people are the most controlling people. For sure. I would agree with that. You know, and then mostly people who are fearful generally are pretty selfish. Mm. So, but do you think, so Mm -hmm. how do, so you go, you help those people kind of recover from that level of selfishness though by addressing the fears? Uh, Well, there's a lot of different ways we do that. I think the first thing we do is start asking questions like, 
it depends in this situation. So I mostly counsel women and uh, I used to counsel teenage girls. I do counsel a lot of women who have been in destructive and oppressive marriages or destructive and oppressive like family of origin environments. Um, and again, that's not to say that men don't experience the same thing. That's just not who I see. Mm-hmm. And so generally I'll ask questions about um, if it's them that are being entitled or if it's their spouse. So oftentimes I will see women whose spouse are entitled. And so I'll ask them questions. Again, I'm getting their perspective and and not, you know, their spouses, but, you know, who do they listen to? Whose opinions do they respect? Like whose counsel are they willing to take? Like who, I'll generally ask for patterns of like, what does like their work history look like? Oftentimes people that can be entitled have um, poor work history in the sense that it's always someone else's fault. The blame Why? game. Yeah, the blame game. Yeah. You know, and so that's generally what I'll do to try to start addressing what's going on at the heart of a person is asking a lot of questions around what they're doing. Uh, the person that, you know, is coming in that's complaining. And again, somebody's not going to come in and say, my husband's entitled. <laughs> no, but someone might say, hey, he might be a narcissist or he might be. Sure. Done yeah. Some of them have come in doing some research, but some have come in so broken, they again, they don't know where to start. Yeah. Like they come yeah. in and they're just, I think it depends on what they're walking in yeah. with, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because if they're yeah. coming in and they're anxious and depressed, my focus is going to be something different than on, right, their spouse. My biggest thing with them is to make sure, hey, are they stable? Like, are they secure in the Lord? Do they feel safe with him? Are there some people around them that, you know, they can talk to that are safe? You know, I always try to push back to the church, safe women at their church. Um, who can they go to and talk with? And so now if it's an actual entitled person, which I do have some of those as well, uh, generally that's that's You mean fun. the counselee oh, is, yes. enti- yes, is actually yes. entitled? Yes, counselees. Yes. Um, I had Wait, a lot fast. of those when I was seeing teenagers. This, they said it. that to dealing with those people, it said unearth entitlement. Yeah, and thought, unearth, it in unearth the- entitlement. And I went, you need a big old shovel. How is that going to – I mean, there's <laughs> – I, that just blew my mind, like, because I don't know if I know any really entitled people that are not entitled anymore. Yeah. Oh, so you, you I really used like, to think of entitled people, you're going, I don't see them ever changing yeah, from that. Oh. I, said, I am a horrible person. Yeah. yeah. Like when it, the extreme yeah. entitled, like the title yeah. entitled slightly narcissist. So how then would you start unearthing it? from someone to that extreme when yes. they're so obviously not wanting to be unearthed. Like they so yes. obviously yeah. don't want to do the work. Yeah. But then they, I guess if they show up to counseling, that's a good sign. Yeah. I mean, it's rare that um, they stick with counseling. I'll put it that way. Yeah. And so They'll go three weeks and then you start nudging into some hard stuff. They're like, uh-uh, this yes. is getting a little bit too too close. Yes. Or they'll yeah. switch counselors oftentimes. And so what we really want to try to do is like get to know their story because like trying to view people not just as sinners, uh, but trying to hear what's their suffering story. Um, if they're claiming Jesus and like where's the evidence of being a saint in their life. So I try to categorize it as sinner, suffer, saint human, right? Because everybody's human. We all have weaknesses and limitations and, uh, and then everyone's made in the image of God. So trying to hear like their story 
from like their human perspective and like knowing that they're made in God's image and then hearing kind of drawing out the suffering and then starting asking questions around, okay, their responses to the suffering mm-hmm. and then looking for some patterns, right? Uh, and particularly, again, I don't counsel men. So this is with some of the women that I have counseled looking for patterns and trying to address those patterns. And then underneath it, really the beliefs that are kind of driving like, that. yes, are oh. driving that. Mm-hmm. And then looking back to like their bigger story for themes. So I might have some women who have experienced, you know, abuse as a child, right, who um, out of desire for self-protection, right, no one's going to hurt me like that again. I'm never going to feel this way again. Um, like this is kind of where it's manifesting, where they're in turn out of their fear, trying to control things, think that they deserve things, have a little bit of the victim mentality. Um, That's kind of what happens. But again, that's kind of few and far between. I mostly see women who've been victims of this or are currently being victimized by this. So let's maybe dwell on that, right? Like how does a, a woman that comes in or somebody that's listening go, I am being victimized by entitlement. Is that a good way to say (laughs) that? I mean, not that they're going to walk in and sit down and say, I'm being victimized by entitlement, but my voice doesn't matter. My voice isn't heard. Yeah. My opinion doesn't matter. Yeah. And they probably feel like they're just married to a very selfish spouse. Correct. Right? A lot of times. Yes. So then they come and they sit in your office when it comes unsustainable. Correct. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just want somebody, oftentimes the women think that they're still the problem. Yes. Well, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Because they've been blamed for so long, Mm -hmm. right? And so then we'll have to kind of separate out, okay, what is your response versus his response? So do a situation to where you can play that out. The passive active heart response. Um, You have a title. So It's not mine. I think it's. It is either... It's steps. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it's either yeah. Michael Snetzer's or it it's is. your brother's. Okay. I was like, it's one of the two. It, of actually, I think it's in both. It's okay. an equipped to counsel and steps. Yeah. Somebody right. smarter than Somebody. me came up with that term. <laughs> um, so essentially a passive heart. So like if you were to come to me and, um, or I'll just say like with a woman. So she's got a situation and her husband, um, oh gosh, let me think of a... Let me think of a recent one and let me change it up a little bit. Okay. Um, uh, the kids are being really loud. She homeschools. Uh, the kids are being loud. He's working, you know, online as many people have been doing during the pandemic. Um, he starts berating her, uh, telling her, you know, it's her fault. You know, she needs to keep the kids quiet. Um, he can't focus at work, you know, then he gets what's like a, a pip or something like a, a performance review at work. Cause he's not completing enough of his work. So he blames her, tells her when all along, maybe he really hasn't been doing the work he needs to or being as productive, but he's blaming her for the kid's response, for her response, for being loud and like, you know, uh, a small setting and not getting them outside. It's her fault. It's her fault if he's going to lose his job. So she comes into the office, maybe she's tearful, fearful, not sure how to you know, control the kids. And so she's taking on the full weight of responsibility going, it's going to be my fault if he loses his job, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. I don't know. I'm, we can't spend the money, so I'm not sure where to take the kids. Um, and so I, I can't keep them all quiet. You know, they're four under the age of 12. They all have different activities, different things. So this was going on during the pandemic. And so how do I do this and like not get him so angry with us? And then I would go, okay, what are you actually responsible for versus like 
you know, what do you have to entrust to the Lord? And so generally I'll have them try to write things down. Uh, and more often than not, they'll put things on there that they have to entrust to the Lord, which would be her husband's job, um, her husband's actions, her husband's words, her husband's feelings. And There's so, a commonality with every one of those, mm-hmm. her husband. Yeah. And so generally what I try to get people to see is what we are responsible for, right, is going back to um, either, you know, Mark 7, Matthew 6. We're responsible for what comes out of our hearts. And so both our responses are our initiation. So she's responsible for what she thinks, feels, her beliefs, you know, desires, interpretations, perceptions, uh, actions, right, self-care, to somewhat degree, right? If you have a thyroid disorder, that's going to probably affect some self-care effort you put into things. Like I would put, hey, that's under your responsibility that you have to entrust to the Lord's sovereignty. Outside of that, right, um, all the things with your husband, even with your kids, like obviously you're called to nurture, to provide, but you can't make them think certain things or feel certain ways, right? We're not responsible for it. Those are the things that we're called to entrust to the Lord to pray. Um, and I'll, I'll tell people, now, of course, we affect one another, mm-hmm. right? So Yeah, we influence each other's yeah, behaviors in different ways. Absolutely. So are the kids going to be annoying if he's on a, I mean, annoying if he's on a work call uh, and they're loud? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That can mm-hmm. be annoying. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, how he chooses to engage her and respond is a very different story, right? To say, hey, like, would it be possible if you and the kids go to a park? Like, mm-hmm. I've got a really important call. Uh, not blaming her, blaming the kids, or even threatening that if he loses the job, it's their fault, right? There's a different way in which to approach the situation if you're being affected by it. So mm-hmm. so tell me, so we talked about passive active heart. So uh-huh. tell me the passive and active par- hearts in those scenarios. So the passive heart would be him blaming her. Right. Um, Because he's not want to be actively engaged in the heart process himself. Mm -hmm. He has to pass that kind of to someone else. But also there's just apathy involved with his own um, lack of desire and looking Mm -hmm. inside internally himself. So then the active part of that would be the active heart. Yeah. The active heart would be if he went to her and was like, hey. You guys yes. are affecting me. Uh, it's loud. I know it's hard for you. It's hard for me, right? Can we figure this Can out together? Can we figure this out together? Together. You know, and so, or even if he lashed out at her and was like, get the kids to be quiet, you know, coming back afterwards, hey, I was angry. I'm trying to get work done. That's not the right response. Will you forgive me? I was really annoyed and trying to and being specific about it, uh, mm-hmm. his confession and then empathizing. Hey, I know it's been really hard for you, like being home with the kids mm-hmm. and then trying to figure out how do we correct this together? So, so I think that's an important distinction, too, you just made, Rachel, because what you just said, the active heart is not someone that makes always perfect decisions and interactions but it's someone who's pursuing the Lord in such a way that helps them feel for other people, right? Absolutely. So that means when he messes up in this scenario, you're saying he feels it later and sees the hurt he causes. So he actively goes and says, I'm sorry. I apologize. I did this, though. He's not saying it in general. I'm sorry if I hurt you. Yeah. He's saying, I'm sorry I said this mm-hmm. and this and this. Will you forgive me? Can we? This is just stressful or whatever it is. Yeah. And explaining it. So in that scenario, the pursuit of the Lord is what helps change all of that, you're saying. Yeah. Empathy 
in pursuit of the Lord. I think if we're pursuing the Lord, you know, God says that we are called to love him and to love others, right? Those are the two greatest commands, loving him first, loving others. And so part of loving God is you have an affection for people that are around you, especially people that have been entrusted to your care. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so to try to empathize, right, to put yourself in someone's shoes. um, And so to go, hey, I can't imagine how hard that was or that was harsh for me to say that, Mm -hmm. right? Empathy is really important, you know, as believers. And um, and I'll, I'll tell women that when we're talking about an entitled spouse, and they'll often say, you know, I, I do not have a husband, husband who empathizes with me. Um, he doesn't understand me. He doesn't empathize with me. Um, and generally, I'll try to get them always to go to the Lord first, right? Because we do have a great high priest who can empathize with us um, and to validate our pain uh, more than their husband, even a healthy believer ever would be able to. Um, But that also is a key to entitlement is oftentimes uh, individuals who are entitled lack empathy. They don't see a different point of view other than theirs. Uh, They're not able to like understand that those words might have hurt those actions could have been painful. Um, and so they really lack empathy. And to me, it makes me kind of question their pursuit of the Lord. Like sure. what moves their heart then? So what do you say to women? Like if a wo- you're telling this to someone as you're talking and the woman's response is, I try to talk to my husband about it. And his response to me is, I'm not a girl. <laughs> oh, and That gosh. sounds like a very common response. It is. Yeah, oh, I would think so. I, I can't. I can't be like that. I'm yeah. not a woman. You sound yeah. like that seems like a very feminine thing. But we have Whereas we, attributes of the Lord that ha- uh-huh. we've labeled as feminine are uh-huh. actually attributes of the Lord. So uh-huh. what? how do you respond to her? Like, what is your advice or nugget you would give in that situation? Well, I can kind of be a sassy person. So sometimes I might be, well, obviously he doesn't know Jesus <laughs> because our Savior was a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. And so that meant that he cried a lot and he felt a lot. And if we're called to look like him, that's that'd be based on whether you're a man or woman doesn't really matter in that situation. <laughs> exactly, and I'm pretty sure he was full man, yeah, uh, more perfect than your husband will ever be. Yeah. Uh, so I'd probably say something like that now. Uh, a lot of times I'll ask, well, tell me what their pursuit, like their of, of intimacy with the Lord looks like. And then are they focused on this like flipping tables, which is a very minor, minor, minor part of Jesus's ministry. Um, it was done towards what we would consider the church, exactly. the conservatives now, the conservative <laughs> universe. It wasn't towards a wife or a mother. Mm, I know. <laughs> it was in his father's house. It was yes, in, the only reason yeah, why it took place Because they were desecrating there. it. It was spiritual abuse. I mean, yes. they were doing some spiritual, They were doing yes. horrible Misuse things. of authority. They yes. were entitled. They yes. felt like they, they were, were entitled. very entitled. That's who mm-hmm. he was responding to. Yeah, it um, bugs me when people use that scenario for righteous anger too, because yeah. they never use it right. I rarely ever rarely, see it used right ever. Ra- I will say this, rarely have I seen righteous anger and a righteous response ever. to that righteous anger. Because honestly, humans are really very far from capable of it. We're not capable of righteous anger very, very yes. easily or very well. So usually when we're angry, it's not Where did the term even come from, righteous anger? Where did it come from? Uh, like, the ra- well, I know in James it talks about the how man's wrath. anger does not achieve the righteousness, the righteousness of God. That's true. <laughs> so then they just took two words yeah, in the same and put it together. Righteous that's, that's, righteous. that's a great question because like I've never headship. unpacked that. Headship's not yeah. in the Bible. Yeah, no, it's not no, in the Patriarchy, no. No, uh-uh. it's not in the Bible. Righteous anger. Righteous probably. versus unrighteous. I don't think it, I don't necessarily know no, where Christy's it is. always good about asking the like, mm-hmm. I think this is the conundrum of term. I don't... 
Yeah. Anyway, y'all finish talking. I'm going to look at Well, generally, I'm going to empathize with her on how, like, that feels. I'm going to... When a man literally doesn't want to look at himself because he's like, that's a woman thing. Yeah. And that's not... No. I mean, that's not a... That's not a woman thing. I mean, there are certain things that the Lord has tasked females to, like birth, right? Um, That obviously men, they do... They take part in that, but they're not necessarily part of labor. But I mean, everything else, like we're called to emulate the Lord. And Mm -hmm. so empathy, you know, that is who Jesus is. It's a part of him. Uh, He's very, in in the definition of Jesus's heart uh, in Matthew 11, it says his heart is gentle and lowly. And yeah. so that that needs to be a reflection of all of us as believers. And so if you have a spouse who isn't empathizing uh, and is very far from uh, gentleness and humility, then I, I think we have a big problem with where his heart is and mm-hmm. who his allegiance is to. I think he's revealing his allegiance. It's to himself. but In that scenario. Because yes. we do have to be careful and say, too, that entitlement absolutely is cross-gender. I mean, it is women and men. Um, That scenario, we just happen to talk about men. Teenagers, for sure. So we are a podcast for for women. women. We are. But because of that, we're a podcast for women. I did want to ask too, where do you see entitlement typically, like where do you see entitlement in women the most? Is it parent? Like I feel like I see it a lot in more parenting, right? more parenting. Yeah. So how... Do you see that manifest itself? Um, I'm take notes. Oh, you start. <laughs> I'm ready. I mean, I would say entitlement and fear of For man win. kind of go hand in hand with that, you know, whatever age kid, teenager. Uh, it seems to rear up a lot more, too, which is, you know, as your kids get older, what you think you're entitled to. And then it depends on, like... Are you concerned for their soul? Is this about your reputation? Um, but a lot of it can be your own comfort, right? Is I mean, if there's health of a kid or just going over algebra homework, you know, late at night. Um, I've told you 30 I'm times. Tired. Please clean your <laughs> room. Me, yeah. uh, like, don't want to parent you today. Like, providing instruction. Mm. It's a lot of times when people want to or, you know, even when moms just want to, like, because I said so, without actually going, you know what, I'm going to take the time to get into the conversation, even though it might be an hour long versus like the quick five minute, like, or the quick, you Which know. Which our schedules impact that ability a yeah, lot, absolutely. right? Absolutely. It impacts your comfort. It impacts your time. Like, and I don't have so, time to get into the, the conversation we need to have now because we got to go to soccer practice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we'll talk about like, it after soccer exactly. practice. Get in the car. Get in the car right now. Yes. I see it. I, uh-huh. I can feel even for us, it was like swim practice. We were yeah. swim practice for years. And I can just feel right now my blood, thinking of that time, my blood pressure should go uh-huh. up a little bit because oh, you're like we don't have time to go in this all three of you need to get in the car let's go yeah yes yeah. for sure schedules and you know i don't know if we do too much maybe that's an american problem and so that i think we feel i think in other cultures i've known they work more so maybe yeah. it, that's the issue like i know we work a lot here but i feel like we don't as much as other cultures true i guess there's others that work less than us too i but was like what about the just, nap in the middle true. of the day what for, culture is that <laughs> But we tend to fill our schedule, though, with just a lot of little stuff that compiles that you have to get ready for in different things, like soccer practice for every kid or basketball. Well, we do have more kids than other countries. That's true, too. So that multiplies it or triple whatever it is well we do yeah. but not in like african and like middle eastern countries they have a, but lot of kids they do. a lot of the i mean most african countries are going to be more agrarian and so their work and labor is going to be around providing mm-hmm. food for the and day their kids and are doing the work with them doing it yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. They're so with them all day long. It's completely different. I mean, it I do totally think different. that we are also raising a bunch of entitled kids uh, that lack gratefulness Ooh, and let's thankfulness. Do that. Let's, let's do explain there. that. Yeah. Then. How Maybe. can we not raise entitled kids? And first, before we say, before too. we go to how do we not raise them, what makes you say that comment? Oh, that's a good one. Oh. Um, Why do you think we're raising a bunch of... nobody's listening and you can just whisper to <laughs> that's us. That's right. Just tell us. Why are we raising a bunch of... <laughs> how are we raising a bunch of my entitled kids? My direct experience <laughs> with kids that are in my uh, vicinity uh, that I'm related to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and my girlfriend's children and the conversations we have and the conversations that I have with uh, women that come into my office when I'm like... Oh my gosh, your kid is so entitled. And so, um, what does that look like? Oh, Paint it looks picture. like painting pictures. Okay. It looks like the kid demanding certain things, right? Whether it's an iPhone watch, the newest iPhone, the newest car, demanding a schedule. Demanding. So it's material entitlement you see a lot of. There's then, a huh? lot of material entitlement. There's just a lot of entitlement demanding. in the sense of expectations. expectations. Like, I have this expectation that you're going to do this for me and that I'm going to get to go here, that you're going to buy me this, mm. uh, that we're going to go there. And it's going to be all the things that I want to do, not taking in consideration the family as a whole, mm. right? Or even you as a person mm-hmm. uh, thinking about, okay, like this, maybe I waited really late to do a project and I'm going to expect you to stay up with me till 12 a.m. and help me with my project. Oh, and so some of those things yeah. can be it, but definitely material uh, entitlement and lots of comparison with other kids, this person got this, this person got that. Um, but really a lack of gratefulness, you know, and a lack of contentment. I don't know what that is. I mean, that could be our society. It could be social media. Um, a lack of – now, there are some kids that are that genuinely love Jesus that are humble and grateful. Few and far between, I will put it that way. Uh, they're in a process, too. Like, yeah. I try to remember, okay, I was probably pretty entitled as a kid, too. Uh, maybe not as much. I think our expectations, though, you're right. I think the expectations yeah. were very different even 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, 20 years ago, they didn't have, like, select sports. Yeah. And they yeah. didn't have, like... At 10. Yeah. Yeah. And, and technology for 11-year-olds. Right. You select know. sports mess up everything. And so... That's yeah. a very generic statement. And social and media. And social media. Social media is created very yeah. entitled. Very I mean. entitled and not very grateful. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> recently... My niece, who just turned eight, she had lost a pair of diamond earrings. Not, I, I think they were diamond. They were like, they were fifty dollars. They might have been cubic zirconium, but they were like gold plated. And uh, she had lost them. And then she told my sister, "Well, can you just buy me some more?" And oh. I was like, "Oh, oh. whoa!" <laughs> I was like, did you wait for your sister's response, or did you go ahead and chime in with the "Oh my goodness"? I think I said, "Oh, whoa," because <laughs> I was on the phone. <laughs> And with both of them when she realized she lost it. That's awesome. And my sister was like, uh, yeah, we're not going to be doing that right uh-uh. now. No. But she was like, oh, you can just buy me some new ones. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, yeah, okay, eight. It starts then. Start today. Start yeah. Today. Well, so. and I do get the impression sometimes that teenagers and kids just have no comprehension of what things cost either oh. because things are so readily available. They just come yes. in and out. They oh. really have no understanding of material, like, value of stuff and what it takes to make money and spend money and everything else. Yeah. Do you think that's unique to where we live here? You think it's – or you think as a U.S. as a whole, as a nation, 
or even the world, do you think that is something? No, I think that's unique to here. <laughs> you think that's kind of unique to here? Because uh, I, mean, I do it, think there's other places that aren't like this yeah, quite as much. I, I mean, we live in an affluent part of Texas. Yeah. And so, I mean, the DFW Metroplex, I mean, it's very affluent, you know, Frisco, Prosper, the Collin County area. And I would so, say Collin County, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we're in a huge inflation right now. And you, do, you would not know you it. You wouldn't know it. You would, you would not, not know, it. know it. In fact, what everybody's doing is, is complaining about the supply chain yeah. because they're not getting what they want quick yeah. enough. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then overdrafting on their cars. And overdrafting. <laughs> and then, and people don't, yeah. And then but there are other people, I think, that are, you know, not as in affluent cities or in different parts and texas is actually doing really well in the economy just in general in the states and so i think but there are other places that have are really hurting as a result of all the lock you know just the lockdown Mm -hmm. pandemic supply chain you know all of the layoffs and so i think that has been a big crunch so i do think some of those kids i'm making an assumption i would assume that they would probably feel a little bit differently and less Mm -hmm. entitled Uh, Mm -hmm. and again maybe a little bit more rural areas versus kind of the boom of where we mm-hmm. are living right now well, go ahead well I, I feel like too it comes down to parenting oh yes like parents can say do you know how much this costs do you know have you gone sh- grocery shopping with me do you you know what i mean like having that conversation with them of going for me to do that that means it takes x amount of dollars out of my paycheck mm-hmm. each month that's why i think kids that are raised by a single mom get it because it's, they, they they see, see the it. stress mm-hmm. a lot yeah which mm-hmm. i think for some reason we don't want to show our kids like yeah. or we can't afford that that can't yeah. happen in our house we say that a lot no <laughs> are you kidding me we can't afford that but there are a lot of people around here that can yeah they can so then, then it should I had be a good friend that she could afford it but and yeah. she made them she let yeah. her kids know like we choose not to pay for certain yeah. things I we choose good. not because mm-hmm. you don't need to go through life thinking that everything's going to be paid for. Yeah. Well, and the not difficulty is, genius. I mean, most people that if you end up going to college and then you graduate, I mean, there's so many college graduates now that are working at grocery stores, yeah. you know, and so their level of, I mean, their income level is a lot lower than what their parents were mm-hmm. getting out of school. And so not getting them used to this, hey, this is how life is. Yes. <laughs> so to go, this is how much things cost. But again, I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about. That takes time mm-hmm. yeah. and that takes repetitiveness and thoughtfulness intentionality but if you love your kids at some point you've got to carve out space and i'm not saying you don't love them if you don't have conversations with them but if you love them the way that jesus loves us you have to be like you know what that's gonna have to wait i'm gonna have to put that on hold and i'm gonna have to have a conversation but what does that look like modeling it as a parent because sometimes modeling we want to tell our kid we want to teach our kids not to act behave respond Mm -hmm. in an entitled way But at the same time, we're not willing to model that in a way that sticks. In other words, not getting the nicest car every week and then telling our kid, nope, you can't have that. Or not moving in to the million-dollar mansion every time we can't, you know, because we – and I'm making extreme examples, but – No, it's the whole do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, because I think that does have an impact because – Sometimes you can say that, but then if you're not modeling it yourself and you have the latest and greatest, it's going to be hard to respond in a way that teaches the kids something and them not feel you're willing to give it to yourself. You're just not willing to give it to me. Well, that's kind of like when we were talking about, well, even with entitlement, that goes like back to like the rules are for, this is from Darby Strickland's article, rules are for me, for you to follow, right? And to to benefit me. me. Yeah, they're to keep me happy. And so that essentially would be um, 
hey, if you're going to ask your kids to keep their room clean, yes, <laughs> your room needs to be clean and right. picked up. If you're right. going to ask the kids to fold their laundry and put, put away, your laundry needs to be folded and put away. I mean, it's going to be the same thing. I think the best way is by modeling you know, for our kids, what does this look like? And so 80% of what our kid from an education perspective from, you know, my world where I'm living in 80% of what our kids take with us is from modeling, not from what we say. I mean, 100%. One of the things that my parents taught me, and they never actually said it with words, I just saw in their behavior was work ethic. And so both of my parents were incredibly hard. They're both retired now, um, incredibly hard workers. And I mean, they showed me what it looked like to work hard, keep a job, to keep your integrity. And so they never actually had to say that. That was just always what they did. Mm -hmm. And I saw it. Well, to go back to what you were saying about like the the million dollar home or the nice things and then kids are like, well, help me figure that one out. There's a sense of like, yes, I have worked. I'm a grown adult. Yeah. I have gone to college. I have worked hard. Mm-hmm. I have saved my pennies. I am going to buy a million dollar home because I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to. And that's how we're going to spend our money. You can't have the nicest card. And it's not a demeaning thing. It's as a parent that's worked hard. You haven't done anything for that. Why would I give you a nice card? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. I think it's okay to say, as a grown adult, I can buy nice things and I can buy whatever I want. But then how you communicate with your kids doesn't need to be demeaning. It just needs to be like, one day you too can have this when you work hard or when you get educated or when you whatever. But I wouldn't say that parents need to feel like, oh, well, I can't have nice things because I can't, I want to model that to my kids. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And I think, cause I get the logic behind what you're saying, because I hear, I hear people say that often and we've said it before, like even like we'll drink a Dr. Pepper, like when our kid was four, but we're not given, I mean, some yeah. people will, but we're not giving our kid a Dr. Pepper when they're mm-hmm. four and we would drink one kind yeah. of that kind of a understanding that some things you can do as an adult that you can't do as right. a child. Mm-hmm. I do think though, and this is again, my devil's advocate part of it. Um, it does make it harder, I think, to mold that lack of entitlement in your kids when it's kind of the it's easier to put a camel through the eye of a needle thing mm-hmm. than for a rich person to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's not that you can't do it. It mm-hmm. is making it harder, I think, to do it when you're living a lifestyle um, of material wealth. It makes it much harder to not pass your kids down with the same stuff, thinking this is the way life is going to be all the time. Um, so it's not that it's wrong. I'm not saying, or I'm just saying, I think it makes it harder because of the modeling that's going on. I just think you set some things up. I could see every time we got phones, the nice phones, our kids wanted the nice phones. Mm -hmm. Every time we got, but did you give it to them? No, but it made okay. it hard. Eventually, they're getting stuff, right? It I think makes you're just it nicer harder than I am. to say no. <laughs> I think you're just nicer. Because it's that easy for me true. to say no to my kids. No. When you're 16 and you have a job, yeah. boom. I just think you're nicer. Maybe. But is it just saying the no? But we said, is it just saying the no? That's the thing? No, or is like, it more intrinsically no something that you're trying to teach to them that's well, more the yeah. issue than the but no? But I still think you, you struggle with saying the no because you feel like, oh, if they're going to hurt, I'm going to feel the hurt. I don't feel my kids hurt. <laughs> maybe that's yeah, a horrible maybe. thing. Because yeah. I'm like, really? You maybe want this? You are you are. What 16. makes you think you should be able to get it is what you're saying. You want this? What makes you think well, you should be able to get it? Well, I know what makes them think that they should get it. Because I have it. Mm-hmm. But no. I am 45. 
I put, you know, whatever you at some point you will have this. And if you get to the point where you, and usually it's money based things, isn't it? It's a material. So yeah. it's material. So then that's even hard. Or but, social media probably, which I have no problem saying no to that. No, cause you can use a law on that one too, which is nice. I think the biggest thing is also to teach them the value thing. There. Right. I'm mean, in a sense of like, if you lose something, you have to work to replace yeah. it. It doesn't just mean it magically we go to the Apple store and we get a new one. Right. I mean, and so we you have do to, chores, yeah. you do all these extra things. You have to work you have for to it. Teach yeah. them. That's true. Yeah. That is absolutely work true. Ethic. I agree with that. Yes. Back yeah. To the work no, ethic. I agree. And I think it's a hard connect. I mean, there's not, if there was an easy answer, right? We'd all, I mean, ah, yeah. probably we'd all be doing it. I don't think it's necessarily easy. Well, well what it goes to show, too, how you're wired. Yeah. Like, you're wired different than I am, so yeah. you're going to handle situations yeah, differently that's true. Yeah. than I am and how we view them. Yeah. But I think with, um, with parenting, I mean, and especially, like, when I'll work with women whose husbands are entitled and who see some entitlement in their kids, one of the things I will teach them is you're going to actually have to teach your kid how to empathize. And so part of that can be asking like on the value of things, it could just be like, Hey, you know, how do you think so-and-so felt when you, you know, threw Mm -hmm. that truck across the room at her when you tore up her picture, right? How do you think they felt? What do you think they thought? And so Teaching your kids empathy at a young age is going to be important. And then teaching them the value of things. I always, and I know maybe it's not the greatest time, but like I used to love the Cosby show before I knew about Bill Cosby. I know. Um, I just will never forget that episode where he had give Vanessa, the younger daughter, all that Monopoly money. And she thought she was going to make it on her own. (laughs) No, it wasn't Vanessa. It was Theo. Theo was going to not go to college and he was going to make it on his own. And uh, then they'd start taking money away from rent. he was taking rent money and then scooter money. And then the funniest thing was whenever uh, the dad was like, you're going to have a girlfriend? And he was like, yeah. And then he took, took the all the rest of the money. But I was like, that's such still a great uh-huh. learning thing to go, hey, here's, you know, yep. here's an actual budget. Here's mm-hmm. what we're going to look at. And, and so, then it was Vanessa that was yes. upset because she wanted stuff she couldn't get help with at school or something because they had too much money. Yes. And yes. she goes to her parents, it's not my fault we're rich. And he's like, oh, no, no, you know, I'm wrong. You're, You're not, not rich. rich. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, your mother and I were, were rich. rich. And there's you a part not. of me that absolutely and totally agrees with that. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, it's, it's, there's absolute truth to that. 100%. There's always going to be stuff adults you're going to get as an adult that your kids don't get for sure. Mm-hmm. And then just teaching them it's not all about them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. what you have to do with people who are entitled anyway, mm-hmm. especially with, you know, even just back to the thing with spouses, like if they do come in, you know, to couples or I send a lot of my uh, male husbands to a guy in Flower Mound named Greg Wilson. I mean, generally mm-hmm. um, getting them, it's kind of like the softer approach in the sense of like taking the backdoor response. People kind of want to run down these people with like tanks. And yeah. You have to like, mm-hmm. it's hard. Slowly. Mm-hmm. Like Tana, yeah. take the layers if off. If they'll stay with you. If, yeah, if they'll stay with so you. So that was the, because I've sent people to Greg too. Yeah. And it's, but it's like, the long yeah. game on stuff, um, if they stay with you, you're peeling back the layers, the willingness for that. So then what do you tell like women? So mm-hmm. this podcast for women, we're going to talk about this perspective. Mm-hmm. If they're married to someone who's not willing to peel back those layers Ooh. and is making marriage and family life really hard. So now uh, you're coping mechanisms. Yes. Yes. Like how, yes, that's a good, yeah. I mean, I definitely want them to be talking to the church. 
they need to, if they or if they are not going to church, trying to get them involved in some local churches in the area, um, that they need to be talking to their church just because they can't do it on their own. And then I generally would only see them once a week, so that's less than 100% of their time. And so you're going to need community support to rally around you. What does good community support look like? Well, so good community support isn't just, a you know, your girlfriend's going well, he's evil and exactly. horrible. And yes. Yes. Enjoying it. It's not always just commiser. It's not commiserating no. together. No. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's empathy, but yeah. then it's like turning you towards, you know, prayer and okay, how do I wisely respond? And then like looking at taking care of herself. So what does like it look like for her to take care of herself and her anxiety and her depression? Like how do we get her to kind of, you know, take care of her body? Because uh, if she is in an abusive environment, not just physically, but emotionally, that's going to take a toll on her health. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we also want to see if this guy's not teachable, right? You know, bringing him to some men, to godly men that can speak into him. And because the biggest thing that we're concerned about, you know, not necessarily the marriage is it's really his soul. Yeah, absolutely. Because if he's not, you know, obviously there's a lack of evidence that he would be following Jesus Christ. And so uh, for him to continue to treat her in this way, unrepentant, not teachable, not humble. And so we want him, right, uh, to know Jesus and to have fellowship with him. And so that has to be brought towards the church. I mean, probably that's Matthew 18, you know, talking to him. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's probably not going to listen, bring a couple others not going to listen, and then talking with the church about what's going on Um, and being specific because it can be hard for women to be believed in these situations. And so uh, without thinking like that they're crazy or, you know, them getting minimized, like, oh, you're just making a mountain out of a molehill, but really talking Mm -hmm. about, well, what are the punishing behaviors? Like, how is he responding when he doesn't get his way? Does he sulk? Does he pout? Does he make life miserable? Does he punish the kids? Um, What does he do? Does he cut you off financially? All of those things. Things are highly concerning um, because we want her to freely worship the Lord and we want him to freely worship the Lord. And you really can't do that when you're enslaved to somebody else, uh, which is a lot of what oppressive, entitled relationships mm-hmm. look like is just enslavement. And so we want to free her so she can worship God and we want to free him from his bondage to himself so he can worship the Lord. Absolutely. And that's going to take a lot of time. It takes time. Yeah. Well, it was reminding me, I remember... A couple of ladies I've talked to that have been in those situations, one of the first questions I'd ask him is, are you praying for him? Yeah. And they'll be like, no. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's, you have to pray for him. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're like, but I love him. Then you should be praying for him. Because yeah. what's this, what's the saying? God is the only one that changes the heart. Yeah. So, you know, you can do all that you want to do, but if you're not praying for him, nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to move. And praying for him and praying for God to bring people in his life, uh-huh. men, other men that can help move his heart, his soul. And listen, it doesn't response. always mean he's going to change. No, right? I mean, it doesn't. Because there's several women that I have counseled that have responded, uh, you know, not perfectly, but they have really been dependent upon the Lord and their community. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, um, you know, because like if you look in scripture with Nabal, uh, he died 
uh, Abigail's husband before Mm -hmm. David, right? He was a fool, uh, definitely entitled and mistreated her and his staff was willing to put all of them at risk. Um, And Abigail was a very wise woman. She spoke wisely to David's like impatience and uh, a little bit of his. But her house was organized too. Absolutely. Like everything was in order for her to be like, okay, great. Get all this stuff round up and let's go. And she can leave the party and the feast that's taking place. Well, one of the difficulties is like when your spouse becomes you know, the center of your world. And so I try to redirect them back to letting the main thing be the main thing. And so worshiping God versus mm-hmm. worshiping your spouse. And so that's going to be oftentimes creating boundaries, saying no. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is doing good and suffering. That's the part of First Peter 2 that people often get wrong mm-hmm. is a lot of times women will say, well, you know, I'm staying because I'm just supposed to do good and suffer for it. And I'm like, enabling sin exactly. is not doing good Gosh. and it's not doing good. And that is such good. a hard that is such a hard, I've decided that conversation is one of the hardest things I, hardest ones I have with women who grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm saying kind of my, we're talking 45 ish or whatever and younger, right? It's, I mean, I don't see a lot of women over 50, but um, having that discussion of enabling sin is not what that means. Mm-hmm. If we're enabling sin, we're hurting our husbands because we don't want them living in sin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then when does that cross the bound? When is it time? And I, we have to wrap up cause I know we're about to have to wrap up, but when do you have to start having the hard conversations of, is this relationship hurting mm-hmm. someone's ability, my husband's ability, my ability to be able to follow the Lord? I mean, I think you you can assess that in the first couple of times you meet with her, like where obviously if her eyes are shifting, which some of that's going to make sense, right? Our eyes kind of shift in our flesh towards what's the problem, like attack the problem. But oftentimes in these relationships, they think the problem is themselves, right? Instead of their spouse. And so to go, okay, but but we won't, we don't want to go either way, right? So they're not responsible for their spouse's sinful behavior, but we don't want their eyes to be locked on to fixing their spouse to change, mm, right? Because yeah, it's an overcorrection. Yeah. Um, we want to be able road. to say, yeah, this is his responsibility. This is your responsibility. You are, God is so much more interested in changing you mm-hmm. than the person who's in front of you. And I would say that same thing to their husband if he was like in mm-hmm. my office. And so generally I start having those conversations pretty early. Like how is this affecting their health, their sleep, their parenting, um, their relationship with the Lord? What does that look like? A lot of times the women haven't carved out any time to pray, be in the word. Um, you know, they've got, they're running here, they're running there, they're going to and fro. Um, and then some of them start to, they start to begin to pursue the Lord. Um, and that's really helpful because then he starts to pers- sustain them, give them perseverance. Then they start to be able to like withstand uh, some of those ways that they start to suffer when they start to speak out against their husband. When they tell him, hey, I'm not going to stay in the same room when you treat me like this. Hey, I, you know, I'm not responsible for what happens with you at work. I'm not, you know, the kids aren't responsible for that. Um, And then it can be the silent treatment. It can be those things. And those are really painful. But being able to find uh, their intimacy with God, um, it's got to be their anchor. And, And that's, if they're not doing it, 
They've got to learn how to do that. Uh, and again, I'm not saying that that means that every woman needs to stay. Like there are definitely cases where there needs to be separation and the church involved. I mean, there's been some cases of divorce. Uh, I'm not an elder, so I don't have to make any of those decisions. But I just try to get more people it, like to kind of widen the circle so it's not just the two of them, right? But hey, let's bring more people into this situation uh, that know you, that can help you, Um that's going to be important. It's a lot harder when women are doing it on their own. For sure. Okay. So as we wrap up, I just want to go back then to that original question we had at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. How do we separate the people who've hurt us? God's people though. People we go to church with, the people we see that say are believers and Christians who have hurt us a lot of times because of entitlement or entitlement or selfishness. How do we separate that from Christ himself. Yeah. Um, because they are separate. They're not the same. Mm-hmm. God's church is important. It's a body of Christ, but it's full of humans. But how do you help people separate those those two things and that hurt? Generally, I'll have them like, I mean, just an exercise. I'll usually have them list out, like, tell me about the hurts from the people in God's church. Like you can bullet point it, you can be detailed with it, how it impacted you. And then I want you specifically to tell me what Christ did or said to you, Christ himself, right? And then that's blank. I've never had one where it was, there were a couple unanswered prayers, right? But then we've had to kind of go through well, God answers yes, no, not now. We don't know what he knows. Like that's a little, and there can be some hurt there, but it's typically because we have these ideas that he hasn't said, uh, but generally that's We have expectations and maybe he didn't answer exactly the way we wanted. Yeah. And that's true. I think of all of us once you reach a certain age. And so with that, uh, they'll start to see, and I'm like, okay, how do we get on this side? Uh, Because I mean, Jesus loves his bride and the bride is full of us and we are broken, messy people. Uh, and so he wants us to love people. And so uh, what I generally get them to do afterwards is grieve. Uh, and, and again, you can't force people to grieve, but to write laments um, about each of those individual situations to the Lord, because the Lord hurts too, like pointing them to scripture uh, to see that, you know, he, he empathizes with them. He grieves over this. And then also to go back to go, Hey, this isn't new. Uh, Mm. you know, whether it's a pastor who's been really abusive, like pointing back to Saul, pointing back to the sons of Eli, different priests, um, it's unfortunately not new, but, and the Lord does care. That's why this is in scripture, but it's also why the Psalms, right? A third of those are laments, Mm. right? Cries of complaints to the Lord. So getting them to be a really good Psalmist, because again, so was their savior, right? You know, when he bled, you know, when he was cut, he bled Bible, right? And most of the time on the cross, he was talking about the Psalms. And so getting them to cry out in those situations. And then generally, I try to teach them that the quickest way out of offense, it's not just forgiveness, but it's humility. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the Lord is so kind to me uh, at times when I, if I start to feel offended, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it's not like I haven't been sinned against, or even if I have been sinned against, I'll remember like what he's rescued me out of, uh, or what I have done. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. I remember that. Okay. Thank you, Lord, mm-hmm. that you did forgive that. And, uh, to be gracious when I either cover that, you know, in love or confront that in love. Um, and so that I try to tell him that, that humility, that, kind of knowing where we are in God's story uh, and that we're not outside of the things that have been done to us. We've done worse things to him, Mm -hmm. um, if not others. And so trying to get them to see that, obviously, 
um, you know, if there needs to be conversations had, uh, and then just getting them to see that Jesus is so different. And so I just go back to the gospels. Uh, and one of the things like sometimes I'll have them do, uh, I've had clients highlight like all of Jesus's questions in the book of John. Uh, and, and really he just asks, that's a great exercise. It's, it's fun. Writing that down. (laughs) Essentially what he asks is, uh, where's your faith? And, um, like, who do you believe? Like that, that mm-hmm. kind of boils down to that. Like, where's your faith? Who do you believe? Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is, is good questions for all of us. It's like, who do you believe and where's your faith? And so I generally try to get them to do that, to see uh, practical things I've had them to do. I've had them read Gentle and Lowly by uh, Dane Ortland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, I love The Chosen, uh, the TV show. It is just, Christy you know, that too. <laughs> I know there's some, you know, artistic license in that, but I really feel like they do the best depiction in the sense of, uh, I think Jesus was funny. Yeah. I think Jesus was, you know, full of empathy and emotion. Uh, I, I just think they, they display the character mm-hmm. really well on the show. And I'm like, that just gives you a good, if you're a visual learner, mm-hmm. good visual something else to use. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have to wrap up. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. We're going to have Rachel on again. We're going to try and grab her. She's very busy. We're going to try and grab her in between all of our different schedules and family life that's taking up a bunch of your time as well as um, the counseling. I will say counselors right now are full. I mean, we're finding that out quite a bit. I mean, but, um, you know, God is not Jesus is not, he's not full. He never is. His docket is not full. There's always Mm -hmm. room. So um, churches can help. Absolutely. People can help um, friends, families that you, family members you trust that you Mm -hmm. feel safe with. Um, If there's a conversation you need to have, it's important to have it. Uh, We weren't meant to do it alone, right? So isolation, I think, is one of Satan's biggest weapons. Huge. So anyway, but Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. It was fun. This was great. I appreciate it. Okay, everybody. That is it from us this week from Noisy Narratives. Um, You guys have a great rest of the week. That's Noisy Narratives out. Goodbye. Watch what happens now.